This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Jordan Epstein, CEO and founder at Stroll Health. But when you think about what a market can do in healthcare, right? If you could possibly have a market, if you could be efficient, right? If you could see you know, what was available and utilize resources better, right? I think we can do better than all those other countries. Welcome to Mobile First. You'll find bonus tools, expanded information, and key takeaways on our website, EmergeMobileFirst.com. For a quick and effective way to level up your mobile strategy, again, that's EmergeMobileFirst.com. So our guest this week, Jordan Epstein, is the CEO and founder of Stroll Health, a startup based in San Francisco, which helps doctors and health systems deliver low-cost, better-value care for their patients. He has served as an expert witness to the U.S. House of Representatives on mobile and digital health technology and represented the United States as the keynote speaker at the World Health Congress in China. He is experienced in business intelligence and a SaaS leader with expertise in design, development, and production of enterprise big data applications across industries. Past Fortune 500 clients including Kaiser Permanente, United Healthcare, Delta Airlines, and Chase. Jordan, thank you for joining us. Really excited to have you here. Thanks, Jordan. Happy to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So Jordan, I'd like to start out to uh, understand a little bit about you and your origin story. So first of all, what are you most passionate about and why? Yeah, great question, Jordan. When I think about the things that really motivate me, it ends up being people. And, and in particular, it's, it's how are people inspired? How do you connect people? How do you connect people with the things that matter to them? And so for what I'm doing you know, today here at Stroll Health, what we really care about is connecting people with the right care at the right place at the right time so that you can get to someplace that, re- that really actually matters that's right for you. So if you need to get physical therapy or an MRI, we can show you kind of what you can get with your insurance, what's nearby, what's available, how much it costs, so we can get you to the right place at the right time. When you think about kind of these big picture things of like what's wrong with you know, our society today or what's wrong in the world, you know, the big things are, you know, homelessness, you know, uh, unaffordability of healthcare, access to healthcare, you know, and those are the sorts of things that are are really problems that that we can solve if we just take, you know, a handful of smart people and put them together in a room and support those people. And so that's, that's what gets me fired up. So that's really interesting, Jordan. Can you maybe walk us through the path you took from, you know, geology to being a business analyst to now founding a mobile health solution business. So giving us some insight into the path you took to get here and, and maybe some of the pivots and growth you made along the way. Uh, great question. And, and so when you think about even before being a geologist, you know, what I was thinking about, what are the things that I, I want to do in my life, right? What are the things that, that inspire me that, that make me excited? You know, uh, there, there was a time when I wanted to be a rabbi, right? And I wanted to be a rabbi because I was searching, searching for truth. Right? I was searching for this deeper meeting. And for me, what I found was, you know, it, it's out there, but, but being a rabbi and being in the text, that, that isn't where I wanted to be. And so, you know, I thought for whatever reason that math was the right way to do that, right? So math is pure. You can kind of get the problems are exciting. There's real answers, right? That was cool. But it didn't connect to things that were, you know, actually applied that you could touch that were, that were real, right? And so I thought geology was like math, but it's about like things I can interact with, like rocks and go out in the field and see how, how the world developed and come up with theories about how we got here and where we might be going. So that, that was why I got into geology. But then I was working on nuclear power plants kind of all over the country, and, and it was still the same sort of you know, thing where this was interesting, 
but it wasn't really about what actually mattered to me, which was people, right? How do we actually affect and how do we impact you know, the people around us and hopefully make, make the world better for those people? And so when, when I thought about kind of what, you know, what are the things in my life that, that has changed my life, right? The biggest thing that I thought of was, was Google, right? And, and just a very basic idea that I can have a question and in two seconds, I can get, get an answer, many answers. And they might not be right, but at least I can start to have a dialogue with someone about this interesting problem that I want to know an answer to, right? So that has absolutely changed my life. So I, I could have gone to work for Google and I you know, could have sold ads, right? But that's not what I wanted to do. From that idea that you know, software can, can make people's lives radically better, right? And Google is just an example of that. Uh, you know, I, I decided that I wanted to join one of those software companies. And so uh, it, it turns out that transitioning from being a geologist to working in high tech in, in Silicon Valley is not the easiest transition. So I applied to 100 startups. And of those 100 startups, exactly all of them rejected me. And one of the rejection letters that I got was, you know, dear Mr. Epstein, I don't know if you read the job description. You don't have any of the skills that we're looking for. <laughs> but I, as a recruiter, have always wanted to be a geologist. In 20 years, I've never seen a geologist apply for anything. That is so cool. You should continue to be a geologist, you know, Godspeed. And so I showed that to my sister. And I, and I think just, just right there, it's important to have that support network to say, hey, Amy, you know, uh, this isn't going that well, but I got this weird letter. Uh, what do you think I should do? <laughs> what do you think I should do? And she was like, well, obviously you write back to her and say, you know, you don't want to do geology anymore. You want to do software. And here's why. And here's why for your company. And so I did that. And for whatever reason, I guess, you know, because I was persistent, they're like, well, you know, he seems smart. At least let's interview him. And they ended up bringing me in, uh, and you know, a VP and a, you know, a bunch of these you know software engineers put me in a room and asked me to give a presentation. So I told them about my thesis in college about plate tectonic motion 60 million years ago in Alaska, and they hired me. And so that that's how I got a start in software. And so kind of from there, the idea was that particular company was about using kind of big data to help really big companies, you know, help their employees be a little bit better at their job. So it was kind of a cool project, you know, organizing all this data to be able to help, you know, like you, Jordan, you know, you're great uh, at, you know, customer satisfaction, you're great at building rapport, but you can never close a deal. How do we help you close a deal, right? And so that was something that we could coach you on to have analytics to help you improve. And that was, that was cool, right? It was helping, making software to help people improve people's lives. But, you know, in this very small way of, you know, that, that sure it makes a, you know, a billion dollar impact for Verizon, but really isn't kind of fundamentally changing the way that people operate, isn't solving the big questions in life, isn't addressing the big problems in life. And that's what I've always wanted to do. And so I happened to be dating a wonderful gal from, from Stanford who's now a doctor, and we would be talking about all of the issues in healthcare. And if you ever, you know, <laughs> if you ever you know, think that there aren't enough problems in the world to solve, just try going to a hospital or a medical clinic or talking to a doctor for one day <laughs> and you'll be set for life, right? There are so many problems, right? There are, you know, and the problems are from just the diseases, like, you know, how do we manage type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes, chronic, you know, kidney failure, whatever it is, right? You know, there are so many problems. And what's amazing is, is that there's kind of two, two problems in healthcare, right? One is that just fundamentally, we don't have the technology, we don't understand, we can't cure you know, type 1 diabetes, we can't cure type 2 diabetes, Although there's you know, some very exciting companies, I was just meeting with kind of the leaders of this company called Verda, which are reversing type two diabetes. I mean, that's that with software, like software and services, right? That's crazy. That stuff's exciting. 
But the second problem in healthcare is that we actually do have solutions, or we, we actually can solve these problems. We just don't know it, you know, at that micro patient doctor level, or even the doctor knows it, but we can't get the patients to do the right thing, right? And that second problem is absolutely, you know, a connections problem. It's a software problem. It's it's a motivation problem, and that's the sort of thing that gets me really fired up, right? Because we actually can, like truly today, we can solve so many problems in healthcare. And when you think about just in the U.S. how big healthcare is, so it's, you know, from a dollar amount, it's about $3 trillion. But when you think about, you know, inpatient and outpatient, it's about $1 trillion inpatient. Inpatient is like hospital, that sort of thing. Uh, and there's $2 trillion outpatient. So outpatient is like your total, like outpatient surgery, you know, go to your clinic, get an MRI, that sort of thing. And what's amazing is how inefficient we are. And so we did this pilot study uh, in the Bay Area for, for just ordering radiology. And basically, if you could just show people and their doctors, you know, how much stuff costs ahead of time, and not, we're not saying, like, reduce the amount of care. All we're saying is just instead of going to the place that was $10,000, go to the place that's $1,000. And we were able to save 31%. So 31% times $2 trillion is $600 billion with no change in technology, no change in, in, in patients' you know, level of care. All, the only change is this micro decision about, you know, hey, as a doctor, do I want to refer to this guy or that guy? And let's personalize it to you, Jordan. And so that sort of problem, imagine what we could do with $600 billion. And I'll, I'll just I'll drop the mic there, $600 billion. <laughs> no, I, I love that. And before we dive into Stroll and, and you we explore a little bit more of what you're talking about, I just want to recap a couple of points you brought up because I think they're really important and worth reiterating. The two problems that you identified having an understanding that we can use tech to solve more problems and just having the awareness to look into these healthcare, you know, different areas of healthcare to understand where we can use technology to solve these problems. And then number two, providing the awareness to these providers, these healthcare providers, that there are solutions out there currently that they can leverage to provide a better service and better care to their patients. So I, I wanted to call those out. And so with that, can you maybe describe a little bit more of what Stroll is, why consider Stroll, and, and, and really just give us the, the under-the-hood look? So what Stroll is, is it's a platform and service for, for doctors and patients to be able to see what their options are when they're trying to get care. And, and at the highest level, what that means is that if you're a doctor or you decide that, let's say you want to see a specialist, you want to get an MRI, you want to get a CT scan, whatever it is, we can show you for you you know, what's nearby to where you live or your work, what's in network, how much it costs out of pocket, what's available. We can help you book it, kind of get the seamless, you know, patient experience like it's Uber or Amazon. You get your, you get your email, you get your text confirmation. All you have to do is show up, right? And that's the way that healthcare should work, right? It sh you shouldn't have to call an insurance company. You shouldn't have to wait for a prior authorization. Uh, you shouldn't be confused at any point in the process. You know, someone should be holding your hand and we think that, you know, it should be software and it should be seamless and it should be us. Right. So that's what we're, we're going for. I see. Okay. So it sounds like it's disrupting that consumer experience, right? And it, you just use the app and it's a seamless experience on the consumer side. And it sounds like that this is, I mean, you brought up Uber. Uber is a consumer experience enabled by the drivers and enabled by that technology. So can you maybe describe a little bit about, the healthcare provider side, how it benefits them, and, and how that data and information now enables that seamless experience on the consumer side? 
Yeah, great. So uh, that's exactly right. So, uh, you know, on the patient consumer experience side, it's this kind of this layer, but kind of, you know, peeling back the hood, peeling back the layers a little bit. The next level is that from an ordering perspective side, right, because most care is ordered by a physician. I think the number is every physician orders something like 2.7 million dollars of care every year, right, is responsible for 2.7 million dollars of healthcare. And so when you think about how do you help solve this experience, right, you've got to make it easier for doctors to be able to make the right recommendation for their patient. And if you can do that, then the, you know, and you make it seamless for the patient from that point forward, right, then maybe they'll do the right thing, right? So that's, that's kind of step number two. Step number three is there's all of these back office things that you got to optimize if you're really trying to solve this problem. So, you know, easiest ones to visualize are, you know, scheduling, right? But it kind of, Going deeper than that, right? You got to do prior authorizations. You got to get the results, you know, back and forth. You have to move around patient data. You have to connect with the insurance company to do these these back office kind of what's called eligibility checks. So you got to make sure that, hey, do I still have insurance? And if I have insurance, what's my benefit? And what's called, you know, the accumulator and the the accumulator. So that's like your deductible maximum. So for you, Jordan, you know, if it's in March, you might, you know, have spent a little bit of money. If it's in December, you might have spent all of your money, right? So you have to be able to process all these different things to be able to solve the very simple problem of Jordan, you should go get a blood test, right? That's, that's fundamentally what we're trying to do. Really cool. So I want to recap a couple of things you said, because I, I think, again, they're, they're really awesome and important. So the things that you're focusing on, optimizing the back office process and then streamlining the ability for the physician to give patients the right information and focusing on those things now enables a just way more valuable and easier experience for the patient. Is that, am I hitting that right? Totally. You, you hit it on the nail. Awesome. So I guess to get to where you are now, obviously you faced a lot of diversity and with that startup process that you went through, can you maybe describe and, and walk through a couple of the major hurdles that you faced as a app business startup in the healthcare industry? And, and then maybe some of the ways that you overcame them? Yeah. Uh, and even before I get there, I mean, in spending time in healthcare, everything seems hard, right? Everything, when I look around now, like nothing seems like an easy journey. And I know you and I were just talking about some of these businesses that, you know, in two years grew to 900 people and, you know, 400 million in revenue. And just in healthcare, it's so hard to see that, right? It takes just the, the time scale of these things is so hard. And so when you think about starting a business in healthcare, there's a couple ways you can do it, right? So one is, is basically pure research-funded grants, right? And then trying to move from those research into commercialization. That's, that's kind of one way, especially kind of with drug development and those sorts of things. But even, even some digital health companies, they're called like digital therapeutics. They're licensing some of the uh, procedures or, or, and making digital some of the things that just, you know, clinicians have been doing in the past. That's one way. Another way is, is to... So, you know, tackle a big problem and raise 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, uh, you know, Grail just raised you know, a billion, right? So those sorts of things, right? And those are the two that, you know, in looking from the outside, I believe, you know, if you can do one of those two things, you should do that because the alternative, unfortunately, is you've got to bootstrap, right? You got to get some friends and family, build a prototype, go out and test it, go out and sell it, get some revenue, start to make some money because healthcare is so complicated and there are so many pitfalls. There's so, I mean, there are patients and providers 
and referred to providers and insurance companies and brokers and TPAs and how all of these players you know, connect to each other, you kind of have to understand unless you're solving kind of one small problem where you can start to make money quickly and then scale. And so if you're a young person starting and trying to start one of these companies, basically you got to go find a sugar daddy. If you can do it, right? If you can do that, you're okay, right? Or you got to go make money. And that's so hard because, you know, especially a lot of people in my generation, millennials, right, have these big picture pie in the sky. We want to change everything. We're going to disrupt, right? And good luck, right? I, first time I'm, I'm quoting, you know, President Trump, but, you know, who, who knew how hard this was, right? It is very hard. And so if you're not doing that, then what I have seen is a lot of ex, you know, I, I just met with the, uh, ex-CEO of Trulia, right? I mentioned, mentioned his company, you know, Verda, that, you know, they raised, I think, 50 million, right? And it's not because it's a great idea, or, you know, it's an absolutely great idea, but that's not why they got 50 million. They got 50 million because it's that guy, right? And if you look at some of these other companies like Lyra or Amino or, you know, these, these great companies, great vision, great technology, you know, but the reason they're getting the money is not because of the vision or product. You know, they don't even have a product yet, right? Is because it's the you know ex CFO of Facebook, right? you know that sort of thing. And so when you think about starting a company in this space, you know those are the three buckets. And if I was you, I would not do the one where you have to work your ass off, <laughs> work your ass off, you know, to, you know kind of grinding to get there. And of course, having said that, that's what we did. So <laughs> right, so you grinded your ass off to get to where you are. And so now, what's the hurdle holding you back from scaling and reaching that next level? That's a great question. And so for us, you know, we basically had pilots, we have, you know, good clinical data. We're now doing this commercialization thing, which again is now that these systems that we're selling to want to show, you know, show the ROI. If we do that, right, then we can, you know, help scale this thing. And so that's still early, right? And again, you know, what we're doing, I hope seems obvious, right? Which is when you go to your doctor, you should, your doctor should be able to tell you, hey, you know, what's covered for you, where you can go, you know, what's available, how much it costs, right? We do that in everything else, right? It should be obvious that we should want that. And if we do that, it should be able to, you know, we can make a buck out of it, right? That's, that should be obvious, but, but that's just not how healthcare works, right? You gotta, you gotta take the baby step and you really have to find, uh, I was talking to, to Bob, you know, Kocher at Bedrock, he, you know, he wrote the ACA. He was one of the, you know, him and, and, and Ezekiel, Emmanuel wrote the, and a bunch of other people, it's a huge document, right? But, you know, with our, our masterminds of, of the ACA, he absolutely, like, you got to pick your sugar daddy, right? You just got to. So it sounds like you have the data and, and the traction to take it to the next level. Really, you're, you're looking at capital funding right now to get it to the next level. So is that currently the, the hurdle? Is, is that capital to reach the next level? And if so, like, what are the things that you're going to use it for to, to achieve it? Yeah, great. So uh, absolutely, we, I think every startup always needs more, more capital for us, mm-hmm. with no exception. And what we're using it for is basically funding these pilots, right, getting them to convert from, from these kind of pilot contracts to these, you know, uh, multi-year service agreements, you know, being able to you know, show these satisfied customers, improve compliance, you know, lower turnaround time, reduce costs, you know, these kind of very, very specific metrics that we're looking for to see if we can demonstrate that. And then after that, it's basically, you know, how do we leverage this core technology, which is like a personalization layer in healthcare, right? And how do we distribute this thing, right? So, you know, a lot of product, a lot of technology, and, and then kind of on the back end of the race, 
right? You know, how do do we really start to ramp up growth? I see. So, I mean, returning to the first points that you made, the two problems using technology, that you can use technology to solve problems. And then number two, awareness that there are solutions out there to help solve these problems. So it sounds like you're kind of in that second bucket where you need help with awareness or you, you need the funding to help increase awareness and utilize that through a sales force to get more people onto these pilot programs, convert people from the pilot once you have the data and things to show them. Is that kind of the current hurdle or, or is there more you'd want to expand on? Yeah, I mean, you got it, except for, you know, these pilots that we're trying to run are, you know, are with, you know, systems that are $10 billion and have, you know, multi-million patients and, you know, the sales cycles for these things, unfortunately, are if you have a doctor that wants to do that's great, but then you got to go get a technical lead. you got to get an operations lead, maybe a financial lead. Right? It's like it, it's putting these deals together is really, really tough. And it's really tough as a young person as well, because everyone you're talking to is double your age, right? Everyone is talking to you is double your age and has the incentive not to do anything because it's healthcare, right? It's about people's lives, right? You know, if what happens if something goes wrong? That's what we're working on. And are there any regulations or restrictions specific to healthcare that you're running into that's prohibiting or that's slowing down your ability to do that? I mean, there are so many regulations, you know, specific to healthcare. I mean, when you're first starting, the, just figuring out the HIPAA compliance stuff is hard. When you're doing consumer stuff, there's FTC. You also have to be aware of if it's if you're trying to make some sort of claim towards actually improving condition, you might fall under the FDA, right? So there's kind of those sorts of regulations. In addition, because we're kind of playing at this connector level, there's regulations around what's called anti-kickback and Stark, which are very well-intentioned, which are the idea that, you know, hey, we, I just said earlier that, you know, a doctor can show $2.7 million in revenue. Well, if you were, you know, unethical or unscrupulous, you might say, hey, you know, Dr. Jordan, uh, you know, I, I can give you 100000 bucks if you just send all your patients, you know, to me for MRIs or for, you know, kidney, you know, dialysis, whatever it is, right? So obviously that's not allowed, but now it gets a little bit tricky because, you know, doctors should be incented to make better value decisions for their patients, right? They should care if you save money. They should care if you get to do the right place, you know, that's nearby or they can get in when you want, right? They should care about these sorts of things. And so these lawmakers have agreed with you know, agree. Uh, and so now there's all, but the law still stands, right? But then there's all of these exceptions, Right, and so they're called safe, you know, safe harbors for Stark and, and, and exceptions for anti kickback. I think, but now you have to like, well, you know, for our business, right, we're not paying doctors, but you know, there is this kind of you know perception that maybe this is this is not okay. So uh, there are so many pieces, right, that you could get lost in. And actually, you know, to, to be honest, that you know, ethically or philosophically or legally, like, are interesting questions. I mean, some part of this, you know, my brother is a lawyer makes me want to be a lawyer. And the other part of it's like, come on, man, I just, I just want to build something that is, like, is so obviously needed, right? That we need every day. It, when I think about what we're doing, like if you think about all the times that people spend calling their insurance company or, or waiting to, to, you know, on the phone to schedule an appointment or, you know, waiting to, to move results or get a prior office, if you just took all those people in one day and you could take all that time and just put it into solving a project like Troll, we could solve it for everyone forever. Man, how frustrating is that, right? You have the keys to the kingdom and you have the answer and you just want to make an impact and solve the problem, but you have all this red tape you have to cut to get through. And we haven't even started because 
that's just on the, the national level, right? There's also state laws, but forget about the state laws. There's also those individual systems. Those systems have their own policies and procedures, right? And so going through their own security review and going through their own, you know, what's called, you know, it's still HIPAA, but it's a business associates agreement and, and signing those contracts for the, you know, SOW, like uh, the master services agreement, like these things are just huge undertakings. Even if it's like a simple, I want to give you a widget. Like, can I give you a widget? <laughs> just like take my widget, right? So just one of those things, man. How are you moving past these hurdles then? Are you setting meetings with people in government to allow you passes or are things being changed to allow you to do these things? What, or are you making changes within the business to align? Yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, uh, great, great question. And this is another place that, that you can get lost, right? So uh, I do go to the government, to D.C. and, and Sacramento to try to, I'm, I'm in California, right, to, to try to make changes. And, you know, as a startup I, I don't think that's a good strategy, right? For, for you know, in, in this very, you know, selfish kind of business, if your startup is to succeed and you want to tra- change policy, like, I think the better way would be to time it when policy changes to then, you know, go and act on that change, right? That being said, I do do this because I think it's the right thing to do. And, it's, and there's so much policy that needs to change and can be changed. And and honestly, I'm in a position to, to see it, to see what the problems are and, and how we can do it. And I think it's, the moral imperative that, you know, how could you not, right? If you, if you had the resources to do it, and there's some debate, you know, do I, as a startup, do we have the time and resources? But I think it is just the right thing to do. But, you know, you know were I to give advice to other, you know, entrepreneurs endeavoring to get out in this field, I, I met with CMS, uh, Centers for Medicaid and uh, Medicare Services, I guess, many times, you know, that's tough. You know, they, you know, they said to me, like, many times, you know, we don't, do anything. <laughs> we don't. We don't. You know, work with specific companies. We don't endorse products. We don't. You know. Um, so, but but you know, things do change. But just the timeline for these changes are so long. And you got to remember how many people are working on this, right? Because you know, there's drug companies, there's device manufacturers, there's these huge IT companies, there's you know, doctors, uh, hospitals, hospital groups, doctors, doctors groups, right? So that. You can get a voice. You can find it, and you and you should. I mean, you, but just you know, if you're trying to change policy as a, as a matter of business, I can't endorse that. You know, for a way to make money, I you know, I'm happy to endorse that in a way that you know maybe will make our country better. Got it. So are you are you to a point now with your business where you're able to navigate a lot of that? And for you now, it's just you know determining what states and what individual practices to work with that allow you to. Get this data and, and this positive support to make some of the changes. Is that currently where you're at? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you know it, it's kind of cool to be at the point where you know people find us sometimes, and you know I, I give kind of the, the pitch, and they're like, "Jordan, we get it. Like <laughs> we're on board. <laughs> like how do we do it? Right?" Which is pretty cool because you know when you first start out, you're like, you know, people are incredulous that either this can can't be done or isn't a priority or that's and, and certainly, I mean on. It's not always a priority. Some of the priorities, sometimes we go into a health system, you know, and a health system is either a group of hospitals or hospitals and practices, right? So you might have five hospitals and, you know, 30 outpatient centers, whatever it is. And they go, look, 
you know, for the next two years, our only IT project is Epic. We're switching to Epic. So if you're, you, know, you make software, you're, you're in the you know, Epic bucket, Epic is taking all of our resources for two years, you know, come back in two years. Like literally, you know, literally that happens, right? And, and then kind of beyond that, then it's about you know, really how do you fit into the priorities for this system? How do you make enough big enough impact for somebody where they're going to stick their neck out? And so that's, it is a challenge. It is a challenge, and it's a challenge, you know, to not only speak the right language, right? You know, improve improve patient outcomes, improve patient access, improve patient experience, but to really go from that to, you know, people on the in the organization, you know, move, moving forward, getting contracts signed, ta- you know, taking the meetings to actually to go from cool concept to, you know, this is affecting clinical practice, super hard. It's really cool. So I guess, Jordan, what is the coolest thing you're working on right now that you want everyone to follow up with you and check out? I don't know how much, how often you go to your doctor, but just imagine if you went to your doctor and your doctor, you know, said, you know, Jordan, you're out hiking, you, you twisted your ankle, you know, we got to go get you an MRI and then physical therapy. I, I know that's a lot, right? And maybe we'll have to have surgery, right? And I know, I know that's, you know, scary, daunting, you know, we'll, we'll take it step by step, but I got you every step of the way, Right. We'll make, we'll take care of all of your insurance. We'll show you how much it costs. We'll, we'll book all the appointments now, right? All you got to do is show up and you're covered. How does that sound? Sounds fantastic. Yeah, I think it does. What would be the, the website or the place or the app name that you would like us to, to go check out so that we know what these changes that are taking place and how we can access your technology and your service? So check us out at strollhealth.com, like finding affordable healthcare should be as easy as a stroll. You know, if you're interested in you know, talking to me, it's pretty easy. It's jordan at strollhealth.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn. And, and, and absolutely check out some of our product demos. Check out some of our videos we have online. You know, check out our blog. There's a lot of content there. But, you know, really, if this is something that you're excited about, that you're passionate about, that you think we should change in U.S. healthcare, it, it, and I think we should, it, and I, and I know we're wrapping up, but I, you know, now I'm starting to get fired up. And so, you know, when you think about, you know, big systems and, you know, when you think about healthcare of countries, you think about healthcare of countries, right? So when you think about the first world countries, we're, I mean, we're, we are the, the most expensive period, but we're just not even close in terms of outcomes to cost, right? We spend, you know, more than double, you know, per capita and have, you know, higher you know, infant mortality rates, have lower life expectancy, and, you know, the, the list goes on. But when you think about what a market can do in healthcare, right? If you could possibly have a market, if you could be efficient, right? If you could see, you know, what was available and utilize resources better, right? I think we can do better than all those other countries, right? Because all those other countries are just from the top down, right? There isn't an incentive to innovate. There isn't an incentive to work that extra hour, right? And so if we could have an efficient market, just imagine how much better we can be both as a country, but, you know, as you know, we can be the shining light of the world instead of kind of the laughing stock. So, and I think it's technology like this that can make that difference. So that's what gets me fired up. Love it. And also make sure to tune in this Friday where Jordan will be sharing some of his most valuable resources in our rapid fire Friday round. Hey, thank you for listening. Make sure to tune in this Friday for this week's guest resources from our rapid fire question round. And I'm always happy to be a resource in any way that I can. 
So visit emergemobilefirst.com to reach out to me directly or for additional insights, resources, and bonus tools that can help catapult your organization to the next level. Until next time, think mobile first.